You are on Line of Sight, a War Machine and Hordes podcast for new and experienced players, sponsored by Broken Egg Games. Everybody and welcome to episode 154 of Line of Sight. My name is Jaden, and I'm here with Brett. Hey, man. Hi, I'm here. Yeah, and we're here also with Emmanuel. How's it going, everybody? Glad to bring some fire to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So Emmanuel is the the lead person on Field of Fire, which is one of the bigger subsidiary things under the Line of Sight banner. Um, he's got. A podcast of his own. He's got four writers that are working under him now, right? Um, I have four article writers. I have three script writers other than myself. Um, mm-hmm. And that team is still growing. Uh, every time I get on a podcast, they let me proselyte a little bit more about growing the Field of Fire media team. So I have no doubt that your listeners are going to get uh, a full helping of that. <laughs> there you go. Um, and you're also the progenitor of the Riot Quest and now Monpoc Radio Plays and a bunch of other things as well, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. I can't wait to talk about that. There's so much to dive in there. So, uh, yeah, so we're excited to have you on. Chandler is uh, doing doing something else today, so he can't be here. Um, but we will have him back on, I hope, next week because mm-hmm. it's been a minute. See, what you don't know is that Chandler and I are secretly the same person, and so we just can't be in the room together, and that's why he had to duck out as he transformed into me for an episode. See, that could be plausible, except for I met you when I was hanging out with Chandler, so I've seen you both in the same place. Optical illusion, mirrors, Uh totally, uh, smoke and projectors. Brett was involved. It's true. Right? We've recorded a lot of podcasting with the two. All of right. <laughs> All right. So uh, I don't know what I'm talking about, clearly. <laughs> Anyhow, Off the rails already. Yes. <laughs> yes. We do have some news to talk about um, because Private to Rest launched the Iron Kingdom's Requiem Kickstarter this week. And it's, I think, blowing everybody's expectations out of the water. Is that a fair yeah. thing to say? No, I was not expecting it. It's, so it's been three days and it's 300K. Yeah, 320, I think. My God, and it's that's not how Kickstarters usually go, right? They usually have a small burst, and then they have a huge burst at the end, right? Yeah, it's been pretty wild. Um, and I mean, I think part of it's got to do with the fact that, like, pretty much there's only one backer tier that makes any sense, and it's hundred bucks. So I think they're just getting a lot of like hundred dollar backing options, and yeah. Uh, oh I yeah, think people. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me with the Reaper Bones way back when. Like, oh, that looks dangerous. Oh, the hundred. <laughs> there's a tier that's just everything. Yeah, all right. Yep. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I think there's a lot of people in the world that really love the Iron Kingdoms who are maybe playing War Machine right now, who are looking at this as an excuse or as a way to reintroduce themselves to the lore. There's a lot of people that have been starving for that. Um, and I think it's taking a lot of people by surprise how well it's doing. Certainly take me I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that Dungeons and Dragons has become ubiquitous with gaming. Like you can find it in Walmart. It's yeah, you can everywhere. And so because of that, 
I feel like there is a huge audience that may have never even been exposed to the Iron Kingdoms who know D&D, who know 5th Ed, and, or Kickstart stuff already, saw this product and thought, how neat, what a cool world. These guys have Dracodiles and steam-powered robots and, and gun mages. What's this all about? And jumped on board. Yeah. And... I know that it's also been one of those things I've seen shared around very positively as an alternative to a lot of the various campaign settings that people have already done. And so mm -hmm. I think that new, fresh uh, setting that we're all very familiar with because of War Machine will be awesome. And it's a great way to sell models. So, you know, right. I'm all for it. Yeah, I see it compared to Everon a lot, which makes sense because they're, they're similar-ish. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, weren't they like part of the same contest that made Eberron a thing and made the Iron Kingdoms, made Matt like jump off the, and make his own thing? The open gaming license? Yeah, that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were. Anyhow. Um, um, and I, I also think, I don't know what the state of D&D Kickstarter is, but I got to imagine for this price and this professionality that there's not a ton of competition. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like because like, mostly what you see is like, a book right like mm -hmm. or usually a pdf right yeah or a pdf and it's like hey this is i don't know here's a whole bunch of prestige spells or here's a bunch of prestige like classes or here's an entire book of meals i saw that <laughs> kick started um I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what else they have going for them, too, is they have a whole line of models to back up every rule and every monster in every character you could dream up and so there aren't many games that can boast you know hey here's all of the models for all of the rules that we just cooked up mm -hmm. that's true yeah that's true that's pretty good about that that's cool so, yeah i didn't realize how many competitive advantages they would have in the D, &D 5e space yeah it's pretty it's true and i mean like i'm freaking excited not only because i love the setting but the part of the thing is that like people who play D, &D for a while they know how D and D works, right? Like my my brothers, uh, who I who I DM for, like knows how to DM and knows the settings that we're playing in and everything because they've done it. The Iron Kingdoms is nothing like that. And the first time I get to describe even like a dread rot, is going to be everybody in the group going like, "Wait, what? What is that? How do I know?" And oh, I think it's going to be oh, really it's, fun. It's just a dry a giant. How bad can this be? <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Iron Kingdom Giants are nothing like other giants. Um, so, anyway, check that out. It's really, uh, it's a great value. It's like 110 because the early bird's over for the, 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 the campaign setting guide, the Monster Nomicon, the, uh, the module, and a GM screen. So, yep. seems and perfectly legit to me. We, I, we'll be playing that on this podcast as soon as we're able. <laughs> yes. The second we, we can, we will be streaming a game of it because Chandler and I are both DMs a lot. Brett wants to play. I want to play. Chandler wants to play. Maybe we'll have a rotation and we can just like do a number of one shots and we can all run one. Mm -hmm. I also want to say as a parting shot too that this is a great bundle for anybody who is looking to become a dm for the first time like maybe you are a war machine player with several armies or an army or you're like man i would love to 
take people through the Menoth uh, protectorate armies, and I have all of these models, and so we're going to meander through the sands. You can go and get this book and get the DM screen, and for lack of dice, you basically have everything you need to play. And so anybody who is first-time DMing and maybe has played some D&D before, this is a good place to jump off and, and sink your teeth into. Yeah, I think all you need is like the player's handbook for five E and uh, and this, and you're good to go. So that that, that is very true, and it's exciting. And uh, stay tuned because they're just smashing stretch goals like they're not even there. Because yeah, the the steam is just going full bore. I can't even imagine what the last like forty eight hour push is going to look like if this is what it's like right now. Right. Well, and I'm sure they'll never tell us, but I'd be really curious. Um, what their what their expected uh, target was and what they're actually getting. Yep. Yeah, that'd be a fun conversation. It's um, just gonna uh, be like Kylo Ren, just more, more, <laughs> more. Yeah, something like that. Um, other news: we we got street dates for the retribution stuff. It's coming the last Friday in February, as uh, I think we already knew that, but it's been confirmed. Um, so that'll be cool. That's. Falsir, the Aeterni, and Death I think the Death Archon are all coming at the end of February. And then we don't know about the Executioner Warden or the Executioner Unit. That's probably March, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, that also means that the 29th of February is the last possible day that it could be the dynamic update for Retribution. So that's a, that's a timeline right there to, to keep track of. And I think that's about it. Paul and Corvus beta is ongoing. I don't... Brett, deploy machine update, yes, no? I still need to. <laughs> okay, cool. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I think pretty quick here, once we get uh, the Fallen Corvus into the second beta round, um, we're going to start making up uh, Brawl Machine scenarios 5 and 6 to get ready to do a beta test of that in a couple months here. So Yeah, in the first update. Yep. The first update, our baby little format's already growing up. <laughs> Anyhow, so we have Emmanuel on. Uh, Emmanuel's podcast, Field of Fire, is oftentimes an interview format podcast where he brings on somebody and interviews them. So what we thought we'd do is we'd flip the tables and we'd interview him. So we're going we're gonna to jump right into that. So um, Brett and I put together some questions and we're just going to fire through them. And if we go on tangents, so be it. But, uh, that's, that's, that's the plan. And our first question is, why did you want to start field of fire and why did you go with the format you chose? Mm. So, you know, field of fire kind of evolved over the first couple episodes. The first episode, it was myself and a friend, Trevor bond back from Sacramento, California. And we wanted to start this right before I moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And when I moved to Phoenix, I was like, well, you know, it'd be a great way for us to stay in contact and hang out and kind of talk shop. And that was originally going to be the concept for Field of Fire is that him and I were going to hang out and talk and, you know, give you that, you know, uh, shock talk, shop talk vibe. My dyslexia wasn't kicking my ass right then, I swear. Um, And... After the first episode, he had a new baby, and as anybody with a child can tell you, or even a very aggressive pet, like, <laughs> responsibility is uh, <laughs> demanding. And so 
the next couple episodes was me just improvising. Um, I had on the guys from my ATC team, and we kind of talked about like ATC WTC prep, and then I reached out and talked to some of the people from Privateer Press and said, hey, I'd you know, like to do some interviews, kind of David Letterman style, like let me just pick your brain. I also wanted to do those interviews very specifically, and I approached Matt Wilson and said, hey, Matt, um, I want to personally combat some of the toxic things that I see in the community. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, firstly, people treat your employees terribly, and I don't <laughs> understand why. Um, and secondly, I don't think that people understand some of the problems and difficulties that you have. And so I'd like to give you the opportunity to come on and vent some of those frustrations, talk about some of the problems. And, um, the idea came to me was, uh, actually I was reading a book by the CEO of Southwest, uh, Herb and Herb, um, when he was having trouble in the early days of Southwest, Southwest with money, he was just sending out emails and saying like, hey, guys, here are the troubles that we're having. Here are the things we're dealing with. And the people who believed in his cause rallied behind him and understood his plight and helped him overcome things even in ways he hadn't imagined. And so I thought, how great would it be for Privateer Press to be able to connect to the community and say, hey, here's some good things, here's some great things we're working on, and here are some troubles I have with overseas shipping, that I have with getting plastic from China, that I have from getting art from artists, that I have, you know, it's just, let's talk about that. And that became something that they immediately wanted to do. And so we released four episodes back to back. It was kind of a scorched earth campaign. Um, and it was like episode five, six, seven, and eight. Like it was really early on. It was like, here is a whole new uh, avenue for Field of Fire. But COVID hit. And I still wanted to interview big players, and I, I interviewed James Morehouse and some of these other, you know, um, really prominent players in the community to pick their brain a little bit. But Shop Talk wasn't having the same. Uh, it wasn't sitting the same with me because we weren't playing as many games, because I, we weren't prepping for tournaments and cons anymore. The meta shifted, so to speak, for me. Um, I looked at it and thought, what is the new reason to podcast? And for me, it was entertaining people. It was giving people a way to step back and step out of what goes on in their day-to-day -day and just kind of relax. Because I know for myself, when I listen to podcasts, it's when I'm on a drive or when I'm painting, you know, when I'm on a plane, when I have a few minutes to kind of digest something. And so the Riot Quest radio show was born for partly two reasons. One, I was playing a lot of Riot Quest. Um, <laughs> and the other part was that um, I thought that show's got to write itself. You know, the character's already there. It's got its own world, and it's very Iron Kingdoms, and I think that my listener base would like this kind of stuff. And right before we did that episode, though, I kind of soft opened while I was writing the script for episode one. I reached out to Brian Sin from Shoulda Boosted um, and Mark Ewanek and um, Tim Black, which Tim didn't get to make it on the first episode, but we did a Whose Line Is It Anyways, uh, Iron Kingdom style. And we did everything from like mock opera with um, <laughs> King Leto uh, and Scar. And we did, um, you know, the guess your party guest with like um, Dr. Stygius showing up. And that was kind of how the Dr. Stygius character was initially born is like, 
we soft opened him in that episode. <laughs> so it was, it's just fun and goofy. And the people who listen to it, especially the people who listened to it while I was there, I was like, hey, listen to this. I want you to see it. Tell me what you think of this episode. And it was short, you know. Um, they laughed. They laughed hard. You know, some people like laughed to the point where they were like, this is actually really like comic funny stuff. Like I'd listen to more of this, but I knew I couldn't do whose line because improv on radio is very difficult. You don't have the same visual cues. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then it becomes scripted and scripted is kind of the opposite of improv. So that led us into the riot quest radio show. And I got, um, Alex Odifer, the guy who writes the Quiet Rest comic strip, who is actually a professional voice actor, um, to do oh, several voices on the show. Uh, Tim Black, who's a professional writer by trade and who's written Gear Teeth, which is a great steampunk kind of werewolf series. Um, I had him on in the RFP days of a, a co-host for uh, Field of Fire, or not Field of Fire, but uh, Remove from Play into the Arena and the original Remove from Play season two. And when we had him on, he used to do all kinds of crazy voices just for fun. And I was like, he's he's the guy. I need him. Yeah. And he nailed Wolf with no name. He, I mean, he was born to make that voice. Um, and so as we had done more of that, I also pulled in. And he writes our. He wrote all the scripts for the Riot Quest show. Like I did some feedback, and I wrote a few lines here and there. But for the most part, it's a lot of it's Tim's brainchild with a little bit of Alex mixed in. Um, we also wanted to like address some things in the community through cartoons. You know, when you get a PSA from at the end of the cartoon, you know, whether it's Captain Planet, you don't necessarily feel like, you know, all right, Captain Planet, I'm going to go pollute now. You're like, all right, Captain Planet, maybe I should pick up that trash in my yard. Like, so we wanted to do some things like that in the war machine world. And so, um, Tim and I got together and we started writing the character, the brain in the jar, which is just a riot quest, riot gear. And the brain in the jar was a, um, an entity. We could make anything we want because it wasn't actually a character. We wanted to say, who's the brain. And we brought uh, Rebecca Banky on to play the brain in the jar to both um, tell the story of somebody who has lost their identity and had to regain it and reclaim it. Um, but also to allow a trans person to play a female role, to allow some of that, you know, reclaiming of the word her for her and for the opportunity to, I mean, the ship has a translocator that teleports us around. I know it's a little on the nose, but man, I'm really proud of how that has come across, not just in the message, but in the growth in the show and that it, didn't, it wasn't just, hey, we want to tell this story. It enriched everything about the story and made it so much bigger, and that's what we wanted to do with the writing. Um, and then I've done a bunch more interviews since then. Um, I just recently had on Will Hungerford, and uh, that guy is a riot. Talk about hype. Him and I can hype anything up. Uh, <laughs> we could you know, just hype cereal up at breakfast. We'd just be like, oh, my God, have you seen these cereals? Yeah, I love cereals, but Captain Crunch is the best. Oh, I don't know. Captain Crunch... It cuts the roofs on my mouth. I'm going to have to, you know, debuff that one. Um, yep. But <laughs> right after that, um, I got to work on the Monpoc radio show script. And right around that time was when I started the Field of Fire media team push. Um, I brought on Brian Sin to run our YouTube content, and he started the uh, Fuel, your fl- uh, Fuel, Fuel the Flame uh, 
series, which is just about pulling on passionate people or talking to people about pursuing their passions, whether it be hobby or gaming or podcasting or whatever. Um, and then we started the fire shop and I have several writers who are doing hobby content and tactical articles and just attacking it from all angles. And then um, we also have a basically a discord, which has just become a guild of artists and creative people. And so even with this last script, um, I, I wrote the initial Mompoc radio show in about a day. Um, I was just kind of, I straight Hamilton, that stuff, like, you know, man writing like he's running out of time. Mm -hmm. And I pitched it to the group. And at first everybody was like, yeah, it's okay. And then we came on and I finally nailed it down. We all recorded and it was amazing. It was, you know, the production I had always wanted to do. All the voices hit. We had multiple people do Russian accents, which I was hoping for one and I got four. Um, <laughs> And we had multiple girls on the episode playing um, roles as officers and as Nova ESR and as Comcore. So they're like in leadership positions and like straight girl power with that shit. And then it included this whole extra group, this new cast of voice actors and uh, creative people to the Field of Fire group. And so the second episode that I've finished writing and we are getting ready to record now, um, I wrote as a Google Doc and I shared it with the group. And as I wrote each section, I'd ask for their feedback on their characters. And we developed really unique and interesting dialogue. And the story is still entirely my own, but they'd be like, you know, my character might say something a little more corny here. My character might say something a little more country here. I think my character might just swear. <laughs> like... <laughs> And those little notes help me understand how their character thinks, because now they're in it. They've played it in one episode, and they've gone, and they've become this character. And so now we're hitting it from all angles. We've got uh, tactical and artist articles, uh, so you can get the visual aspects of it. We've got a YouTube team, so you can have YouTube content. We've got uh, a creative directing team, where we're coming out with radio plays for you to digest. And now that... The D&D &D Five Ed Re Requiem um, Iron Kingdoms books are coming out. I have no doubt once that picks up and that fire takes hold in the community that we're going to do a Requiem campaign uh, radio play. And then I'm still going to do interviews. So I've got interviews lined up with uh, Mike Valancourt. He's going to talk about art direction. Oh, I've nice. got an interview lined up with Doug Hamilton. He's going to talk about one of the projects he's got coming up that he hasn't been able to talk about yet. Um, I've <laughs> um, and then if I can convince Faye, like I got Faye on once and she came on and she talked about War Machine stuff. Um, but now I want to bring her on and talk about Monpox stuff. And I hope she comes on. It'll be a really good episode. So those are that's kind of where we're at. That's Field of Fire, front to back, start to end. That's the whole flame. Yeah, it's an impressive and really fast uh, development of a humongous array of things uh, for people to listen to. And uh, yeah, it's been really cool. Um, the first little while uh, when I was uploading all of the Field of Fire stuff, it was felt like every two days... You were just like, hey, Jaden, can you upload this like by tomorrow, please? Thanks. <laughs> constantly. And I was like, oh, boy, I did not understand what you meant when you said you were going to be uploading on a regular basis. 
<laughs> yeah, normally that means like once a year <laughs> or once a week if you're if you're you know going regular content. But yeah, it was just like every couple of days. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah, um, at the beginning it was like that for sure. Um, and there there's stretches. So like it'll be, I'll have like a whole scorched earth campaign with four episodes and it's like, they're going to go back to back to back to back this week. And you're like, come on, dude. Like <laughs> I have to eat too. And then, um, I will, I'll go like two weeks or so, you know, without an episode, maybe, maybe a month if I, if I got an off month, but typically I shoot for every two weeks. And then if I can get an extra one in there, I'll squeeze an extra back to back. So that's like, if I did war machine content and then I can sneak in a Monpoc episode in the same week, everybody gets something in the same time rather than having to be like, oh, I missed this week. Darn it. I guess I'll have to wait for the next time they drop something I like. Yeah, that's, yep. that's the hard part about supporting multiple game systems, right? Right. You just have to be real ambitious and keep chomping off more and more and more. That's one strategy, yeah. certainly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, so. you know, Hamiltonian levels of ambition here. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so... We didn't. I guess we didn't actually touch on this at all, which is kind of nice because normally when we're doing interview questions like this, something leads to the next. But what motivated you to start podcasting, like in general? Because you talked a lot about what Field of Fire is doing, but mm. you didn't really touch on the like, why are you doing it, and what, how did you start, and why? Well, how did I start, and why? Okay. Well, initially, I was writing articles uh, on the. Uh, wow, I, I feel super dated saying this. Um, <laughs> But on the Privateer Press forums, when it was the only place to go to before there was really like Facebook or even Discord, like there was Reddit kind of, we had the forums. And I was writing this article series called Killing Time, where every episode or every episode, every article, <laughs> I take a real world tactic from some major general or like my first one was on Washington. My second one was on Napoleon and I would dissect one of their real world strategies and I would apply it to Legion. And it was, I won't, I don't want to say it was like super popular. It's not, you know, it was like the forums, but I was really writing so much that I got my destroyer worlds tag within like six months. Like, Jeez, I, just, I never got a destroyer worlds tag. Um, I eventually got my own tag. Uh, that was the removed one that they gave me specially just for me. Um, nice. Yeah, I was pretty proud of that. I was, you know, it was a badge of honor. I was like, I have a special name. <laughs> um, but the Trollblood Scrum podcast brought myself and Charles Aaron Smith on the same podcast to talk about Legion and discuss how we saw beating Legion or how we saw beating trolls from a Legion perspective and what trolls could do to uh, try to stop that or what were some of the things that Legion worried about against trolls. And Charles and I dominated that podcast. The two of us can talk forever. And that, that uh, is a true statement. Yeah, just da 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 the whole time, you know, and we instantly realized there was some chemistry there. Like, oh, hey, man, you you like Legion? I like Legion. You're bald? I'm bald. So, you know, we just <laughs> hit it off instantly. I didn't even actually know he was bald. I just assumed by the way he wrote. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> bald jokes all day. Anyways, um, we started Remove from Play mostly because we felt that a lot of the best ideas that we had, and Trollblood Scrum had pushed us on this too. Gorus had said, look, you guys have a lot of great ideas, but have you ever thought about 
starting a podcast because you can write them all down, but it's hard to convey with it being in a short digestible format. And I was listening to a lot of Chain Attack at the time, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I could give my opinion unsolicited. And <laughs> so I didn't realize what I was getting myself into and in that once we started podcasting, at first it felt like nobody was listening to us. It was like, why are we doing this? Like, are we doing it just for ourselves? Like, is this just for posterity's sake? And then right about episode five or ten, uh, we started really getting on some big players. We had Pagani on. We had um, – Pagani on, and <laughs> <laughs> I can't actually. So I know, like, the spectrum of players we got on really early too were also, um, I think, just right at the beginning of their rise. And so as they were getting big, it was easy to refer back to the content of episode named Will Pagani, right? And so people would go back and they'd listen to these episodes more and more, and then they come back and say, "Well, you know, hey." we really liked your episode with Circle, but why haven't you done a Minoth episode? And so then I'd go out and buy the entire Minoth faction and play it endlessly, and then I'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll be the Minoth guy. And then the next week, somebody would be like, but what about Signar? And um, I played my way through basically every faction doing that. And it was hard for me not to want to continue to give my opinion, right? As I was discovering more things, I wanted to tell people about it and just talking to random people at the game shop wasn't enough. Like I could just talk to people and they would be like, Hey, I need to leave. But with a podcast, like <laughs> if they're going to tune in, they're kind of subjected to it until they tune out. Right. And so I, we also just, we were getting a lot of love from the community and that's what hooked me. And that's what kept me in war machine. And it's what made me wanted a podcast more is that people went, I find value in this. You know, I, I listened to it and it helped me play the X game better. Next time I played, I heard your words in my head going into this matchup. And so I played this list and it paid off or, Hey, I had a really good time. I was driving my, you know, UPS truck and I had a, you know, long day that day. And you guys kept it going for two hours. Cause back then, you know, an hour to two hours is what Charles and I did like easily every episode. Mm -hmm. And, that continued to inspire me to want to just make more content, make more content. And then when Mark III rolled around, everything died. All of our and hand cannon online died. Um, the hand, the cannon cast removed from play, removed from play into the arena. We all just stopped. We were just like, need a break. I don't want to learn a whole new game. All of our content had been invalidated. We had like 300 plus removed from play episodes and several seasons of it. And then mm -hmm. all of its different variations. And I was doing the ley line with you guys and all of the other faction podcasts that we were doing back in the day. And so I was burnt out for a bit and I went and I just played other games. Um, I played 40 K for a while and I, I was real huge into death guard and I got real into IG for a while. And then the one thing that I missed the most was the war machine community. Um, I started a, uh, death guard podcast, of course, cause I was going to give my opinion unsolicited and, um, it was called plague casters and I, um, brought on one of the biggest players at the time of the area, Don Husen, who was like, you know, he's still probably one of the best 40k players of, of this area. Um, and we got down to recording like one episode, and basically the community just wasn't for it. Like, 
um, I didn't get a whole lot of feedback, and they were just like, why? There's such a plethora of, you know, content to digest. Why would you even start? And I, would, hmm. I just kind of felt deflated, you know? And then I was going to, like, Bay Area Open and all these other, like, kind of like mini cons to go and play, and the community was just different. And I understand that, like, my expectations were high. I went in thinking I was going to see Brett Fogel and Chandler Torres, and I didn't get it. And um, no offense, uh, Jaden. It's all good. <laughs> He's like, what about me? No, uh, it's, but, it's fair. I didn't, I didn't exist back then. Nobody knew yeah. who I was. And so, you know, I'd meet a new people, but the community was very different. A lot of it was like, hey, let's just get really shit hammered, which was, you know, fine and fun in and of its own right. But that's not why I went to these conventions. That's not why I went to play. And I also had some very sour beginning, like my very first convention match. My opponent had like three Bane Blade Shadow Sun tanks, like just like three massive tanks. And then the way that their scenarios are set up, sometimes you get a long t table where you're crossing all eight feet of that table uh, lengthwise, and sometimes you get a short table. Well, in this game, I got the long table, and I'm crossing against three tanks, and they obliterate everything before I even get to get anywhere relevant on the table. And I thought, this this seems super unbalanced and unplay-tested and not fun. And then I found out about all the problems that they have with, you know, basically independent models and all of the um, just abusable rules and systems that they had at the time. And... Nothing. That, I don't want to crap on that game because I had a lot of fun playing it. It was very different. Like they use a lot more of the board in very different ways. But I just kept pulling back, going, "Man, I I really miss the War Machine community." And so, then, um, right around when Theme Forces started to come back uh, real heavily, and they started doing CID, I participated in the Circle CID, just kind of like as a backseat. You know, my friends locally were getting into playing CID, and I was borrowing a Circle Army. And then the Scorn CID came out, and I bought a Scorn Army. And when I played in the CID, I thought, not only is this what I was missing with the community, but, like, to be able to grab a game by the Kutzpah and say what's wrong with this game? Here's my opinion. And then for some of that feedback to be integrated at some level to say, okay, community, you have been heard. Here is a different version of these models. Here's something new and exciting here. You know, we've changed it up and I was just, I couldn't get enough of it. I was like, this is, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to War Machine. I, I needed to happen. <laughs> all. Um, and so then the Legion CID came up and um, I had, I don't want to call it a fetish, but maybe a fetish for Chosen is the right word. Um, <laughs> I, I became obsessed with playing Animag. Like, every day I had to go and play an Animag game if I could, just because I felt like, man, this caster is so powerful. So I was like, the, my triumphant return to War Machine. And as I was coming back into Legion, Charles Aerosmith reached out to me and said, hey, I want to re-kick Blight Makes right off, and we're going to go over to Line of Sight. You know, of course, that seemed like the natural place to go. And um, I want you to do it with me. We're going to do it YouTube style. And I thought, sure, great. But I actually, at the time, had no Legion. And he was like, no problem. I'll send you some Legion. And so he sent me like a Blightbringer and like 80% of Primal Terrors. And then like several game store owners and listeners of the old RFP stuff also got together and sent me a bunch of Legion stuff. And so suddenly, I'm a Legion player. Um, <laughs> 
And shortly after that, went to LVO, and both Charles and I did really well. Um, placed in day one, got to play in day two. Actually, I didn't get to play in day two. So, funny story. Oh, yeah, we were there for that. I remember this. Yes. Um, I actually got bumped out of my spot by somebody they let in late because they were unaware of how the thing got transferred or whatever. And I, I wasn't butthurt about it, but I got there. And so, um, but it also allowed me to go and walk around and meet tons of new people and get real close with privateer press staff and see the convention, um, in a very refreshing way. And I was like, yeah, I'm back baby. And then, Legion went basically two years without a release, um, and they had some updates, but for the most part, the updates weren't near as exciting as like the Scorn CID and the Circle CID and some of these other ones that were going on. And so Charles lost his taste for playing War Machine, um, and basically he found uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol. They started on this protocol, and went his own direction, which was fine. Like, I totally respect his decision to go play games, but my fire hadn't diminished any. I was still, like, burning for War Machine, and I knew that I had all the capabilities. Uh, I just had never edited anything before because Charles had always done our editing. And so uh, I downloaded Audacity, and we recorded our pilot episode, and I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm doing the thing. How do I do it now? Like... And the more I learned about Audacity, the more I learned, like, man, I'm, I can DJ and edit music in this thing. I can create voices and sound effects. And so, like, it was kind of the natural progression into things that I was going to do anyways. Um, but just like Field of Fire has kind of had this um, continual burning growth in both content and uh, contributors – that's basically just been why I've done it is that that fire has been there and I've wanted to share it with other people. And as I've shared it with other people, they've caught the fire too. And they've either wanted to be part of it or wanted to share it with somebody else. And that's what I'm all about since day one, growing the community and being part of it has always been something I I wanted to do. And as, uh, uh, I don't want to say a leader in the community because that, uh, assumes responsibility, but as a very vocal <laughs> member of this community, I feel responsible for um, spreading positivity because those are the things that are going to keep bringing people back is fun and interesting ways to play, fun and interesting things to listen to, and just excitement. And so I have tons of that, and I just I, every opportunity I get, I try to structure it in a way that I think the community will like. And then go. Yeah. Fun fact. Um, telling someone how bad the game they're currently playing is is never going to get you more players. Mm. Truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yep. Well, and like I, I understand taking things with a critical eye because one thing you won't hear me say is that a bad model is good. I will not be the one to confirm. I'll be like, man, that is the sweetest model ever. And you're going to be like, man, but the rules are garbage. And I'm like, but have you seen that model, though? I mean, just <laughs> look at that. Look at the model, man. Look at it. Yeah, we, and... have, we, have two, we have two parents here. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or say something really clever and super devastating. Um, but I, I'll, I'll see it with clear eyes in that I think competitive discernment is one of those things that makes a good player great. And so 
if you lie to somebody and tell them that something is good when it's not, they will have confirmation bias over the greatness of your claim and only beat their head into the wall trying to figure out why it doesn't work for them. And what I try to do is, you know, it's like, okay, we know what okay and good is. That's like the baseline. Let's define great and then like go from there. And if anything ever falls below the line of good, you can just say it's somewhere in the varying degrees of less than good. Yeah, um, yeah we, but, we've, gone off, we've gone off topic here, but I agree. Yeah. I think you should be, you should say like, I think this model is good and you should play it and I like it. And you should never say that model is terrible. Don't play it if you like it. Totally. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Question three. Question three. Yeah, several, I'm no longer worried that we didn't have enough questions. <laughs> several, several of these have been answered already, so I'm going to kind of skip through them. Um, so what are you... Uh, what other, like... Um, what what things are you most excited about for 2021 in in terms of like a wargaming kind of perspective? Um, mm. What 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 are you hyped about that's going to come out or happen this year um, that that you would like to talk about and uh, discuss yeah. with us? Definitely. Well, I the two biggest things I'm excited for in 2021 specifically are that people have had about a year now to sink their teeth into War Table and Tabletop Simulator and playing remotely, and communities are starting to spring up around those to where people are not being interrupted in their play. And it's not for everybody. There are going to be some people who go, this just isn't for me. But there's at least enough variety out there to participate in now between Warcaster and Monster Apocalypse and War Machine and now the uh, Iron Kingdoms that you can participate digitally very easily. And this year, I think we'll see a lot more of that in so many interesting ways between everything that you guys are working on and, I mean, just kudos on fucking War Table. Sorry, can I put curse? I'm not sure if I can curse. Yeah, Jaden doesn't, but it's fine. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't curse often, but when an expletive is needed, it's needed. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to go all shaft on this piece, but, man, you guys put some work into that thing. And well, Brett did a lot of data entry and Lars did all the work. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> but, phenomenal. But yes, we are very proud of it. We're very happy about it. And I'm really glad that it happened. Whoever did it. <laughs> yep. Same. And it, well, and your team, like you put it forward, you made it happen. You breathed it into existence and gave it life. And if you hadn't been the driving force behind it, as well as the creators, it probably would have failed. You kind of need both. And you guys were the perfect storm to have it all. It was so, really funny. Um, like the week we were going to start streaming on it, like the reaction from the community was like, eh, we're probably going to stick with Vassal. And I was like, no, <laughs> really? You need to try this. <laughs> like, you need to see what this is about before you make that judgment call. They're like, but we already know how to play Vassal. And yeah, the servers crash all the time. But, you know, it's what we got and we're used to it. And I was just like, guys. Okay. All right, I'm breaking your parent rule. I don't have anything good to say about Vassal. I just stopped playing Vassal because I just couldn't power it. And oh, I liked Vassal just fine. I was <clears> really, <throat> really fast on Vassal, but. I like War Table. Wasn't better. for me. Yeah, War Table is by far more intuitive. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, whatever. We made it. We know. <laughs> I mean, that well, was like the core design goal. <laughs> yeah, the core design goal was this is going to be more intuitive, and also it's not going to crash like ever. Please. 
Yeah. Because, uh, like, to be honest, I think Warta, if Vassal's servers hadn't been so abysmally bad, which, it, like, first of all, John did the most incredible job, like, by himself, keeping that, that Vassal module going. Totally. And the server issues were completely out of his control. That was a Vassal server problem, not a War Machine Vassal server problem. Mm. And if the servers hadn't been so bad, I don't think that we would have made War Table happen. Because there would have been like, you know, necessity is the mother invention and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. There would have been no need. Like, because as clunky as Vassal was, if it had been reliable, once you learned to play on it, it was pretty good. But it He's took like, a lot of learning. Don't judge my moped. Yeah, I drove one. It's clunky. It makes noises. It sounds like a fart when it goes, but I drive it. <laughs> but we were all 16 once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Nice. So, uh, I don't know. Like I, to each their own. Yeah. Anyway, that's fair. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, what kind of virtual events are happening. Uh, we were in talks with uh, Tyson and Will Rutan to run like virtual LVO, but that's kind of fallen by the wayside because things are crazy and Will's probably going back to public school teaching in person like I've been and mm-hmm. life is madness. But, you know, I think other conventions are probably going to start taking advantage of these online spaces to run their events because why wouldn't you? Um, and on top of that, I would say that there's been a huge explosion in the Monpoc community. It seems like every day there are new people joining the Discord and going on Field of Fire and asking questions. We have two new starter kits coming out real soon, and both of them uh, look gorgeous. The models are fantastic. The art form is, you know, blow away awesome. And uh, pun intended, but don't for anybody who's seen it. And it's just, it's really, it's a really fun, exciting time because the game's still really new, you know, it revamped in 2018. And because of that, it has a very young community. There's a lot of rising stars. There's a lot of people who came in early and established themselves as great players. And so we have this microcosm for like the perfect community right now. And I've just been floating on that. It's, it reminds me of the early days of like the magic community when you could Mm -hmm. only meet in stores and basically go on AOL and talk in magic chat rooms. And like, it's just that kind of friendly. You're just happy other people are playing. You're just like, oh, <laughs> you play Monpok? I play Monpok! And so that's super exciting. Uh, and 2021 is going to be definitely the year of the kaiju. Um, and then on the other side of things, you know, War Machine is at a place now where it has so much new to d- dig our teeth into that we haven't been able to play. Over 2021... Uh, between new model releases, and then right here at the end we had, what was it, the Red CID um, just recently. We're about to have Drugs Mm -hmm. Are Bad CID right on the horizon. And with all of these new things to explore, when we come back to our local game shops, it's going to be a completely new meta. Like, everybody's been at home painting models. I know a lot of people who are like, you know what, I use my stimulus check on to get that extra theme army I didn't have. And... (laughs) So we're going to see players playing things they've never played before. We're going to see things that the last time we saw it, it was not nearly that strong. You're going to be like, this is a whole new retribution. I don't understand why I'm getting my ass kicked. Yeah, you need to catch up. And yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to be happy if Crucible Guard's going to be good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Crucible. And the thing is, the last time I like was playing super competitively, Crucible Guard was still wrecking my shit. And so I'm like, oh, they're going to get better. Right. I don't like this. <laughs> I'm in danger. Yeah, the last time I really played into Crucible Guard, it was like, 
okay, Brandon, talk me through how I'm dead this turn, please. And he'd be like, oh, this and this and this and this and this and this and this. But that has a 4% chance of failure, Jaden. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to score three points and pass the turn. And I'm like, (laughs) that doesn't make me feel any better, but thank you. I think what we'll see in the Crucible Guard CID is that we will have a development that Sylvestro can take the gigantic weight of the entire faction off of his broad and you know now burly shoulders, set it down for a little bit, and let people play with some other shit. Because um, he carried that stuff like an oxen for a while, and nothing that's it, it was. He was so good, nobody else could get play, table time. He was like just yeah, it was Sylvestro and your worm would answer, <laughs> right? Um, and so now. I think we'll see a lot more development in that play. Plus, we have the new Warcaster that came out in the um, Wintertime Wasteland, um, Major Bennett. Bennett, yeah. And so that's all unexplored territory, too. Like, there's just so much ground to cover when it comes to being, one, a competitive player, but two, even just to play that game and not just get constantly surprised. There's tons to learn. And that's, that's where I get the most excited. It's the... Um, the IQ gasm where you're just like, oh, oh, there's so much to learn, and I need to learn it all. Yep, fun, fun. Uh, Crucible Guard and Sylvestro trivia. That was our first ever spoiler that Privateer Press sent us. Uh, was Sylvestro? Nice. We got to write an article and do a podcast about him. And at the time, we were like, wow, he seems really good. And boy, were we understating that. Because uh, I don't think he changed in CID. And yeah, he's great. Yeah, S tier, like Haley Good. Yep. I don't even know, is that a reference anymore? Like, there was a time where you could reference and be like, yeah, that's Haley Good. And it's like, <laughs> do I even, uh, am I No, nowadays it? people are like, oh, I played against Haley too. It was okay. I've seen, that, <laughs> I've seen that on Discord multiple times in the last two weeks. And I'm just like, what is this world? That's not a statement that you're allowed to, to make casually there. You're supposed to say, like, I played against Haley too, and I got wrecked. <laughs> and it doesn't happen anymore, and I'm sad. Well, <laughs> it's good for the game. Oh, no, absolutely. But There's Mark 2 Haley 2 was fun. Who's play. the new Haley 2? Uh, the new ha- like, as far as control goes? Yeah, as far as just, like, the caster we could ubiquitously name is, like, just ball. Well, it was Fiona. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure, it might for a still minute. be Fiona. Required. Uh, I mean, it could be Aurora 2 or Aurora 1. Uh, Omadeus, yeah. I would put him up there. It's pretty impressive for a while. Yeah. Yeah. But then that's, that's why we love Mark 3, right? Is that we can't answer that question easily? Yes. Yeah. There's no, like, it's Lich 2, Haley 2, and a bunch of other things going on. I like well, it a lot. And... I, I have been an avid Minoth player for a long time, and the recent staples to the Minoth uh, stable have been fantastic. You know, Fiora 4 is just super good. Yeah, she's fun. So, but that's not why we were here. No, all right. So I got a couple more questions for you. Um, uh, what's your favorite game that you can't get anyone else to play with you? Or is there even one? Do you have that problem? I don't have that problem. (laughs) (laughs) But um, favorite game and favorite game, I have problem people getting people to play with me. So 
Favorite game is definitely Monster Apocalypse. <gasps> I know I said it. Um, it's, it securely put itself as my favorite game up top. I just... The chess player in me can't get enough of it. It's... Uh, if you took Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic and chess and smashed it in. Um, and when... It, the only problem I have is that I go to game stores and they're like, we don't carry this Monster Apocalypse stuff. And I'm like, oh... I'm going to have to change that. And so... <laughs> There will be a community wherever I am, and that may be the answer. And that, like, I don't know how I don't have enough Monster Apocalypse players, and I don't know if enough is a you know too much is never enough. Um, as they say, what was that uh, butterfly song? Come my day, come come my day. Too much is never yeah. enough. Sorry, something like that. Yeah. Anyways, um, but the game that I for the longest time struggled to get people to play with me was D and D and that the time commitment, especially over mm-hmm. long periods of time was being able to say, are you going to commit to playing weekly? Are you going to commit to playing bi-weekly? Are you going to be this character? Are you going to not change characters every week? Like I, even as a like avid DM that would build entire worlds and cities and every bad guy and every storyline, um, consistent players was always a problem. And, so I, it's another one of the reasons I'm really excited about the kind of digital gaming areas. I, I think that the one that the game that lends itself most to being able to be played digitally would be D&D and that you don't even need anything other than like the trust that your uh, players aren't rolling 20s all the time. But right. for the most part, you and you can use dice simulators and all that, but you can yeah. play with yeah. just headsets. I, I know that struggle. Um up until like fairly recently we i've been fortunate enough to have a dnd group going solid for almost a year and a half at this point but uh it started off as a one shot because i was just like eh whatever we're not going to commit to this and then surprise we're still playing uh so i i sympathize with that pretty hard mm. yeah yeah i've had some really good campaigns fall apart on me too where it was like we make the best campaign we have amazing characters we get seven to ten levels in and then the campaign is like basically dead because nobody shows up for a month or two months and then they're like where are we what were we doing right um, yep and then you're the dm and you have to remember everything and it's the worst mm-hmm. yep dms know that um okay so two more questions for you first of all Hit me. what got you into gaming in the first place oh man so when my family um, it, are all gamers in some sense, and not in the traditional sense of like either console gamers or tabletop gamers, but like Monopoly, Risk, uh, Chess, Stratego, um, Yahtzee, Backgammon, you name it, like card games galore. Uh, as a kid, there was the adults table and the kids table and you had to be mm. good enough to play with the adults to sit at the adults table. And if you weren't, you instantly went back to the kids table. Like you could play one hand and you're like, Oh, this was my bad hand. I played like a, you know, schmuck and like, you know where you belong, get off my table. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it was cutthroat, man. Like you didn't play monopoly with my family unless you wanted to be there till four in the morning and lose all love for everybody and then make up for it at breakfast the next day. Um, and, my grandfather used to teach me chess because nobody else would play with him. Um, he was a former uh, Marine, and he was uh, the thinking man's Marine, where it was like every situation can be solved with uh, a healthy dose of violence and intelligence. 
Like those things, you know, went hand mm-hmm. in hand with him. And yeah. so things that allowed you to apply that skill like chess um, were he could play forever. And so he would sit me down and explain to me the problems in my thinking. Well, you see what you did here is you made this mistake. And so it was all about not making mistakes in your strategy rather than just let me teach you all this. And then you kind of learned um, in this uh, osmosis way of, well, now that I don't make any mistakes, the correct play is obvious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was like 10, my bus stop was a game shop. And man, like divine providence right there. So my mom, um, single mother, worked real hard, multiple jobs, um, and she was also injured at that time. So when she wasn't working, she was basically bedridden or at the hospital. And so I would spend all my time, I, I get dropped off, and that was like my daycare. It was like, hey, you know. I wa-. But my first time I walked in the game shop, the one of the older guys was like, hey, uh, how old are you? And I was like, you know, nine. And he was <laughs> like... Uh, why don't you come down and sit down and play a game of Blood Bowl? And I was like, I like everything about that name. <laughs> and so we sat down, and it was Orkland Raiders versus uh, the Rat People. Um, Skaven? Skaven, thank you. And it was like Super Chess. You know, there were every model had its own set of rules and there was an objective with the ball trying to get it up the field. And I didn't even like sports. I was like, yeah, I'll play some football every once in a while. Like the my least favorite thing about Blood Bowl was that it was a, a football metaphor. And I was nine and I was like, yeah, could do without the football. Um, <laughs> but. Then every time I'd show up, they knew I was just open to playing more games and they were fascinated with a kid who would come in and, you know, just like teach me a new game like and so then after i had made my run of playing like warhammer and you know magic and all these other like really og games that they had in their game store um they also introduced me to painting models and i painted several 40k models before i even really knew what any of them were and they were all terrible and then um my family moved to ohio and I was cut off from gaming and it was like losing a limb, like a phantom limb too. Cause like I was constantly feeling for it going, where's my gaming? Um, and when I was leaving though, everybody in the store got together that knew me. I was like their store mascot basically. And they all painted a model for me and they put it in a shoe box and they gave it to me when I left. They didn't even wrap it. It was just like, you know, such a gamer thing. Like here's a shoe box full of models. <laughs> yep. Um, that's accurate. But I I cried. I mean, I cried like a a nine-year-old kid would when he received a nice present, uh, a 10-year-old kid would. But I went back, and the whole drive back to going from Alabama to Ohio, which is a mission, you know, I'm sitting there with this shoebox of minis in my lap, like looking at them, making up rules in my head, coming up with stories for every one of them. And so then um, when I was in Ohio, I'm always an ambitious person. I'm a super hard worker. And I had a paper route and like I got a job at McDonald's at like 13 with a waiver. I was like, yeah, let me get in there and get that paycheck. And so once you have money, you need stuff to spend it on. And (laughs) um, 
I was very independent. I was like, I, I can get a bus route. I can find a game store. I, I had a mission. I knew that I was going to find another game store. But the closest game store, because where I lived was in a great area, and so there weren't going to be any game stores because they just you know, robbed or something. And so it was like a 45-minute bus ride. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go, and I'm going to do this. I've, I have my money in hand, and I go into this game store, and it was gamer heaven. It was gigantic. And they had a glass case full of magic cards and rows of people playing, things you'll never get to see in the COVID era right now. <laughs> But um, tables of people playing all kinds of different minis games, a whole D&D room that was like, basically, if you walked in into like a secret like wizard's crypt and I had like a dragon head on the wall, that was like their D&D room. And I was like, this is the only place I want to be. Like, can I do you have an upstairs apartment? Can I move in? You know, and can and this 13 year old boy be your new mascot? And... I bought so many minis that day. I remember too, because like I'm going back in the bus and I have like bags full of just like all kinds of like old school Ralph Partha and just like pewter minis from oh, man. Reaper and stuff. Like, and I just set out painting. And then I had to start buying books. And so every time I went back, it was buy a different DD book, buy a different DD book. And going through and meeting all of these people and none of them lived anywhere near me and they weren't coming down to the hood to play with me. So I had to continue to go to the game store and like play games with them. And it gave me this really important sense of community because, you know, I had responsibilities to these gamers. I had to show up. I had to bring my books. I had to bring the models. If I didn't, you know, paint it on time, then they would look at my bare naked model and that wasn't acceptable. Like, you know, I set goals for myself. I was, structured because gaming gave me this you know thing to do and it kept me out of a lot of trouble at that time in my life too and that like in a rough area there's so much trouble that i eventually did end up getting into but like at that time in my life i was able to dodge a lot of it because of gamers and also you know for a kid growing up with a single mom to suddenly have not just people who were like father figures but could then Meet you in a social setting where they don't have to be your dad. They can be a, you know, half minotaur barbarian and be like, let me give you some life advice. And it, you know, it enriched me and gave me so many different things that everywhere I went in my life, I craved gaming. I craved gamers. I craved community. And I knew that I had to seek it out. And so it, that's where it started. And that's always been where it was the driving force for me. It's just the craving for that gamer community there's nothing like us that's that's true that's awesome one of my um like mid-life term ambitions is if i keep teaching for much longer i'd like to open a game store wherever i'm at for specifically high school kids to come hang out after school nice um i think that's a thing that more kids should have access to totally because it's like music right like music or games will keep you busy they'll keep they'll give you a sense of community while also like teaching you stuff the the number sense you get from playing dice games cannot be beat uh oh yeah so as a math yeah. teacher i'm just looking at that i'm going can i get all of my students to learn how to play war machine this year could i do that man they'd be so good at math everything would be easy how could i do that the one skill that i think it develops really handily and it's almost um not something that you can work on, it just happens, is the 
like danger intuition. When you're a D&D player and you go to open a trap or something and you're like, ah, wait a minute, this box, it seems fishy. Somebody check for traps. All right, now that we've checked for traps, somebody, you know, use your magical lens on it so that we can see if it has any magical intent. Like you, your thought process changes. Now you're evaluating danger. You're looking at every, everything with this um, constructive criticism. And then also... As a War Machine player and as a war gamer, you start to develop the sense of, oh, no, if those guys come over here, I'm in trouble. If I don't deal with this right now, it becomes a problem later. If this flank gets overwhelmed and I don't have a plan for it, then this whole game falls apart. And so the decision-making tree that you have to have as a war gamer starts with anticipating danger. And that is a real-life skill that will save your life. Like, talk about skills that you're just like, yeah, I'm maybe being good at dice math is good, you know, help me with my, you know, math skills. It doesn't save your life, though. But playing games can't, I mean, it's, it puts you in so many situations that you never want to be in in real life, but you can be in in this kind of metaphor scenario. Uh, you know, when people talk about, oh, I learn by um, making mistakes. Well, games give you this way to fail forward, constantly make mistakes that lead you towards progress. And you can't find that really in any other format because even digital formats of games you still go through the process of letting the computer do it for you and assume some of that responsibility. But in tabletop games, you are the computer. You assume all responsibility. And, right. I, you know, I can't preach that enough. I, I, but gaming's my religion, and this is, you know, something I could proselyte all day. Fair enough. Well, uh, the last question is kind of like a, a parting uh, thing here. Is there uh, any other War Machine like media content that you really, or War Machine or Monpoc or Riot Quest media content that you really like that you want to like shout out and give a synopsis of as uh, as we wind down here at the end? Mm, I love those line of sight guys, man. They are just fire. Like yeah, how many we, episodes now? Hundreds. We fished for that compliment and we caught it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so. I gave a lot of shout-outs really early. Um, I would like to give uh, another shout-out to Brian Sin, Mr. Malorian. Uh, I know you guys had him on recently, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he speaks a lot of the same positivity language that I do, and he just he has a way of being a little more provocative. I'm kind of like the wild card, where he's the joker. And um, I really appreciate his ability to interact with the community in ways that I can't. And so he's he's fantastic. I want to shout him out. Um, I, I, anybody on the line of sight, you know, crew for sure. Like uh, we recently um, started the Vicarious series on line of sight. And while he didn't come under the Field of Fire banner because he wanted to go and do his own thing, um, Vicarious is a brilliant player. And the Monpot content that he's going to come out with is probably going to... Uh, be just like the Relock content. It's going to be stuff that people constantly refer back to as the sacred text. This is the good stuff. And so, big shout-outs to him. He's coming um, on the cast next week, too, actually. Perfect. What a good segue. Yeah. See, I'm uh, mad because I used to get all that information privately, and now he's going to share it with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> just put it Gotta out Gotta share, well, Brett. I know. <laughs> um, 
and then bi- another big up to the Quiet Rest uh, team. Uh, you know, I, mm. I briefly mentioned um, a- Adam Odifer earlier, but it's him and his wife and I think his brother or brother-in-law. But their comic panel is inspired. It's beautiful. It's unique. Um, and that's basically the realm of which I'm trying to break into right now. So the last piece of the puzzle for Field of Fire is that as I move on with the Monpoc radio show, um, I'm going to get a comic book illustrator to illustrate some of the scenes as panels or comic panels so that I can upload it to YouTube with the audio behind it and you can see the visual of what the scene is as it's going and hear the radio play behind it. Um, And Eventually, when Quiet Rest is uh, ready to take a quiet rest, I'm going to try to get their artist to also do the Riot Quest radio show uh, panel so that I can re-release those episodes on YouTube as well to give people a little bit more visual content. Um, um, I'm just going to go ahead and like talk about Quiet Rest a little bit because I don't think we've done that before, and that's probably an oversight on our part. They are making a Riot Quest comic. I think it's a weekly thing. Um, you can just Google uh, quiet, quiet Rest Riot Quest comic, and mm-hmm. they should pop up right, right away. They have a fantastic uh, visual style. It's really, really fun to look at, and they capture Riot Quest perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. So I cannot recommend them enough. They've got a really, really unique thing going uh, that nobody else in the community is even coming close to trying right now. So yep. give, them, give them a look. Does- Alex does the voice of Gubbin. He does the voice of Sir Dreyfus. He does the voice of uh, Bamfist. And he does the voice of the intro uh, uh, announcer of our Riot Quest show. And there are scenes where he does all three of those characters in the same scene. So he will be Sir Dreyfus, clear his throat, and be Bamfist, and then squeeze his throat and be Gubbin. And you're like, holy shit, those sound like three different people. <laughs> he is extremely talented. I couldn't give enough ups to him. Um, awesome. And then lastly, Midnight Monpod. We also just brought them onto the line of sight family. Mm-hmm. Um, Garrett's a friend of mine, and he's also one of the voice actors on the Monpoc radio show. And basically, he was making content all by himself, just doing his own little pirate ship thing. And we started talking, and he has such a passion to get stuff out to the community that I knew that, you know, Line of Sight was the right place for him. And he felt the same way, too. Like, we have a message here of positivity and inclusiveness that you just it's, – it's, it's the Line of Sight dynamic, man. You can uh, brand that T emit. It's what we do. Mm-hmm. And so – the other content creators that have signed on with me and that have signed on with Line of Sight do so knowing that that is our guarantee. And yeah. I, that's one of the reasons I really also like Garrett. A lot like Brian Sen, he's, just, he's full of positivity for the community, and he's bringing it to Line of Sight, and he is dropping episodes at a very regular interval. Um, and his community was really happy to see it too. Seeing them on Discord, they seem excited now to see the RSS feeds dropping into Spotify and um, iTunes and Google Music. And um, so, as Line of Sight grows and our listenership grows, there is no upper limit to the amount of awesome content that 
you guys can, you know, bring them. And so that's one of the other exciting things for 2021 is we're really just getting started, man. Yeah. Got lots in store. It's going to be a good year. It is. All right. Well, with that, I'd like to thank all of the people who support us on Patreon. Uh, you guys are incredible. Uh, you're the reason this cast comes out every week without, well, mostly without fail. And uh, also you support us and help us keep War Machine University up and uh, all of the other things that we have, including the website where all this stuff is hosted. Um, if you're interested in that, it's our tip jar. Nothing's locked behind it. You can find that at uh, patreon.com slash LOS War Machine. We also want to thank figurepainters.com and Broken Egg Games for supporting us. Uh, they make fantastic stuff. If you go to the Broken Eggs web store and order from them, you can use the code LOS5CODE and get 5% off your purchase. Um, you want to find us anywhere we are. We've got a Discord, which is in the show notes. We've got a Facebook page, which is just line of sight. Give that a like. Uh, we've got a uh, website, which is LOSWarmachine.com. And you can email us at LOSWarmahords at gmail.com. You can message us on Twitter. You can find us on Discord. We're pretty chatty um, people. And we like to talk about War Machine and Mompoc and everything else that we do. You got anything you want to shout out here at the end, uh, Emmanuel? Um, sure. So shout out Field of Fire. Go follow us and like us on YouTube. Uh, we're going to be dropping new content there. Um, Field of Fire's Facebook page is the best place to go for our stuff. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I have my own Twitter account, but um, I, I just retweet private press stuff mostly. Um, and... Um, so I'm also on Discord. You can find me as Mr. Class. If you are looking and thinking about voice acting, if you're thinking about wanting to write articles, if you want to uh, come and do an interview because you have a really interesting topic, hit me up. I'm always looking for content creators because that's what I do is I just recruit people and press gang them into doing what we do. Um, but I only put forward people who are going to be good pillars of the community and represent that community. There's not a single voice actor on the Monpoc radio show that doesn't either play Monpoc or is a part of that community. And several of the girls are part of their own like Power Gorge TV. Like shout out to them, man. If I'm overlook them, like um, Mimi from uh, our Riot Quest, our Monpoc radio show is the voice of Nova ESR. She's also uh, one of the hosts of Power Gorge TV and she just wanted to voice act. So if you get the gumption and you want to do it and you're part of that community, by all means. And quite, our Riot Quest is basically open to anybody in um, the War Machine community. So There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Emmanuel. This has been a blast. Uh, we'll have you on again sometime soonish here, I imagine. Sure. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you all next week. Bye.